The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 81. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Next Generation episode, Darmok, one of the favorites of fans. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, if you can, uh, I would greatly appreciate it if you'd share the podcast with your friends, uh, your, your Star Trek friends, especially as we're getting closer and closer to uh, the launch of new Star Trek series, which we'll be talking about uh, so if you have Trekkie friends who don't know about the secrets of Star Trek, let them know about it and see if they uh, enjoy listening to some Trek Star Trek fans discussing uh, these new shows that are coming up and the old stuff like we're talking about today. So this is uh, one of the favorite episodes of the next generation by of fans. Very yeah, clearly. Cause it's filmed in Bronson Canyon. It's always great when they film in Bronson Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the location. It's always. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just just next to Griffith Park. Yeah, <laughs> where they have the it, Griffith Park Observatory that they visit in Voyager. That's right. It, it can't be that this episode has launched a thousand memes or anything like that. <laughs> right, right. So the episode is from the fifth season, uh, which is actually, as I look at it, the fifth season has a lot of really good episodes. I mean, yeah. Next Gen really hit its stride, really, in the fifth season. It, oh, absolutely. Really good stuff. This was the second episode. So it was the, the first episode was the second half of a season cliffhanger. They 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 got into mm-hmm. the season cliff and everything. So this is the first uh, standalone episode of the season, and it came out in 1991. So just about before Deep Space Nine came around. Yeah. Uh, so so the the basic premise of the episode, if you if you don't remember, well I'll remind you. Uh, Picard is captured and trapped on a planet with an alien captain who speaks in a metaphorical language that is apparently incompatible with the Universal Translator, and so they have to communicate, learn to communicate with each other before a deadly beast uh, kills them both. And this episode has a interesting connection with one of our other podcasts, Secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, let me read this little statement. This is from Russell T. Davies, who is the producer of the new series of Doctor Who initially. And he, he said, I've seen lots of Star Trek The Next Generation. I think it's a lovely show. But there's one episode the billing for which is so fascinating, I've actively avoided ever seeing it. I love the idea so much, I'd rather think about it forever. The episode is called Darmok, and the synopsis simply says that Captain Picard is trapped on a planet with an alien who can only talk in metaphors. Wow, that sounds brilliant. How does that work? What happens? How does it end? I've got no idea. I've not seen it. But Mm. it keeps resonating with me. 
I've just looked up uh, its TX date, and it's almost 20 years old. I've been thinking about that story and its potential for almost 20 years. Would it have sustained itself for that long in my head if I'd seen it on BBC too long ago in 1991? I think the mystery deepens. I think the mystery keeps the concept alive. Here I am still wondering right now, and I can see the idea bleeding into my own work. In 2008, I wrote a Doctor Who episode called Midnight. It's, mm. Is it like Darmok? I don't know. But stripped down to its essentials, it's a story about a hero, an alien, and words. That's practically the same billing. Maybe the two shows are profoundly different, but I know for a fact that all those years of wondering about Darmok led me to that script. So there you have it. Um, hmm. One of the best episodes of Next Gen in, inspired one of the best episodes of Doctor Who with the yeah. same kind of core premise, but Russell T. Davies has never even seen this episode. And if you want to hear what we have to say about that, we recently talked about Midnight, yes. and we talked about this yeah. connection then. Uh, so if you go to the Secrets of Doctor Who, uh, sqpn.com slash Doctor Who, you can find uh, that episode there, and you can hear what we had to say about about that episode. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting how it the inspiration, but only in its essence. That's the key. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I wonder I wonder if he's ever actually kept to that where he still hasn't seen it or if he's ever decided to go and see it. You know, because of course that was written, you know, almost ten years ago now, eight years yeah. ago now. Yeah, I, I think after you've written Midnight, you can let yourself watch Darmok. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it seems almost perverse to 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 say I'm never going to watch it. Like just. Okay, just just watch it. I mean, just yeah. it's okay. It's okay. It's really good. Hold a party, You'll like it. You know, make a big deal out of it. You know, have a big party and you know invite <laughs> yeah. you know all these these people you worked with on Doctor Who and watch it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the premise of this episode is, is it might be one of the things that makes it so good, which is that it flips our understanding. It's it's yeah. the heroes, our heroes, who don't understand, who are slow, who are behind the Tamarians. That's the aliens in in this. They're the ones who have to learn in order to catch up. They're the ones who are suspicious of this advanced species. And yeah. that's a real flipping. Well, it's interesting, too, because then, of course, you've got, you know, the we're so reliant on technology. You know, the, the heroes are so reliant on technology and the technology is working absolutely perfectly as far as the technology goes. Right. Yeah. I This is effectively, even though they've technically the Federation has met the children of Tama a few times before, they've never been able to establish contact because they were always incomprehensible. So this is effectively a first contact story. And only, as you say, Dom, the Tamarians, I don't know why they insist on imposing a Federation name like Tamarians on them. They should use their own name. They're the children of Tama, whoever Tama is. But the children of Tama are ahead of the game here. So it's more like they're making first contact with us. You know, they're the ones taking the initiative to make this contact. Lots of Star Trek stories are first contact stories, but not usually with the other people making contact with us. Also, this is a Federation morality episode, you know, where we learn to embrace our despite our differences. That's classic Star Trek trope. But here they do it without the preachiness. Yes. You know, it's not the Federation yep. who are the enlightened people in learning to embrace the noble whoever or the other people are enlightening other people. It's it, it, I mean, really, both people are kind of both groups are kind of on a level playing field. 
but with the Tamarians having a little bit more initiative right. and edge in making this happen. And that manages because uh, the Tamarians are willing to risk everything. I mean, the captain right. of the Tamarian ship ends up dying. He's willing to risk everything to communicate with new life, which mm -hmm. is the mission of the Enterprise. Right. And, and by framing it this way, we get the Federation morality principle, but without the preachiness. Right. By the, by the way, they're called Children of Tama because they're from planet Sigma Tama 4. Okay. okay. So it's the name for their solar system is Tama, okay. basically. And, and it's an idiom or a metaphor, Children of Tama, you know, that, it's probably yep. comes out of that as well. So yeah. they, they um, just a, a little bit more on the backstory of this, the... It took two years to get this story to screen, apparently. Uh, Michael Piller liked it and pushed it. He was the, 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 one of the showrunners at the time. He was a producer at the time. But Rick Berman, who was executive producer, hated it at first. He, he, he didn't mm. like it at all. Uh, but then, of course, Berman later says, after it aired and everyone loved it, that it was one of his favorite episodes of TNG. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> he needed to glad, say otherwise. I'm glad they waited. It, they, would, they did a better job in season five than they would have in season three. Yes. True. Yes. Uh, also, part of the reason he initially didn't like it is because as it was originally written, it wasn't this character story where you have all the focus on Picard and the alien captain. Yeah. It was like a two crews intermingling and not understanding each other. Mm. And having it narrowed down to just the essentials of the two representatives, like Arena from the original yep. series with the Gorn. Yep. Having it narrowed down in that way to just the two captains really focuses the drama. Right. That was Joe Minoski, who eventually wrote the the screen the, the, the screenplay, the teleplay uh, for this, who really got this into its final form and created the language and, and actually created, like we've seen in other episodes where they had difficulty communicating, uh, episodes of Star Trek, he created a parallel script that gave the translation of the metaphor so that the actors mm. and the director knew what was actually trying to be said there, uh, even, as, even as we heard what we heard on screen. So the, uh, the, so the story begins with the, the Enterprise is on its way to this meeting in, at this system called El Eladrell. Uh, they'd received, a, a Federation received a message from the Children of Tama consisting of a standard mathematical progression. It wasn't, didn't have any content. It was just a this is, you know, you understand math. Math is a constant to universal throughout all of the universe. So therefore, you know, this is considered to be an open, an opening greeting, an open uh, hail uh, from us to, toward you. So it was a, an invitation. At least that's how Starfleet took it. Yeah. Here are some prime numbers that you might find entertaining. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so uh, the, it, we're told, like you said, Jimmy, that they had seven previous encounters, but they were determined to be incomprehensible. Uh, the universal translator couldn't translate it. And, and I, I mean, they really kind of start, you talk about it here is how could a race, a, a space going race, especially a scientific and technological race, speak only in idioms? Because it's not precise. And they already have nouns and verbs, obviously, and the, tra the translator is mm -hmm. obviously translating those, but they, they just. Like, how would that even work? Yeah. Does it bear much looking at? Yeah, this is something that I find really hard to resist thinking about as a, because <laughs> linguistics is one of my hobby. Linguistics is not just the study of individual languages. It's the study of language as a phenomenon. And so I find this compelling, but 
fraught with impracticalities. <laughs> right. And actually, there's been some spinoff media for this where they have like a novel where they explore how the children of Tama talk about math and science and numbers and technology. And they do in this spinoff media fill in ways that they could fly starships um, okay. you know, and build starships because it's it seems hard initially to think, how can you only talk in literary illusions, which is really what they're doing. They're not exactly metaphors, but they're literary yeah. illusions and do technology. But the spinoff mm. guys have thought about that. But I find a couple of problems here. One of them is how are they able to translate the, so you got this mix of proper names. Like, so to give an example that the title comes from, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. So you've got three proper names there, Darmok, Jalad, and Tanagra. And then you have a conjunction and, and a preposition, at. And then we also learn other phrases like Timba, his arms open. So Timba, there's our proper noun. His, we got a pronoun. Arms, we got a noun. Open, we have an adjective. We also get verbs like shaka, when the walls fell. So fell is a verb. So they have these non-proper names, and it makes sense. You know, if you're translating from one language to another, you typically transliterate the proper nouns, you know, like you may modify them a little bit, like you don't say Jesus, which is what it says in Greek. You say Jesus in English, but that's basically a transliteration. But then you translate all of the other words, all of the words that are not proper nouns. And my question is, with their language so heavily dominated by proper nouns, how do you establish a basis for translating the other fiddly little bits? (laughs) You know, that doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, in the original series, when they explain how a a universal translator works, they say it's telepathic, that they've discovered certain brain frequencies that occur for certain meanings in all intelligent races, and it matches them up to the nearest equivalent in your target language. Um, And that's fine, but that's the only time we ever have the universal translator described that way. Every time else, it's like a, it's a, it's Google translate on steroids. Right. (laughs) And I mean, they even showed an enterprise where she's trying to basically fight with the universal translator to figure out the languages. Yeah. Stinky boots, you know? Yeah. 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 So I don't know how they translate the 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 non-proper nouns in, in this language. I can imagine ways they could do it, like maybe it's related to a language they do know that's more right. straightforward, right. and so they can get the vocabulary from that, but I wouldn't know how you do it. The other thing is, how do children of Tama learn these illusions yeah. if you can't tell them the stories in a straightforward way? The reason I understand Juliet on her balcony is because I can read Romeo and Juliet in plain mm-hmm. text and extract the illusion from that. Right. Yeah. But if I couldn't read the story in plain text, how would I ever, how would you get this story in just illusions? I suppose since we do pick up words as children, not, mm-hmm. you know, I suppose there are ways to do that. And they even actually in the spinoff media, uh, talk about this. They suggest that Tamarian children, as part of their language learning, see their epics enacted. Right. Mm. That would actually make sense. Yeah. yeah but uh, despite the implausibilities, 
I, I'm willing to go with it because right. the right. the writers are trying to convey a real phenomenon, which would yeah. be how do we understand someone whose language and brains just work differently than us? Mm -hmm. That would be a real challenge in talking to alien life, and they're willing to explore it, and this is what they came up with. And so even though there are some imponderables here, um, I'm willing to give it to them and just say, let's roll with this. This is this is so interesting. Yeah. I can overlook the improbabilities. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, if you're talking about like how would kids learn? I, you know, I can imagine, you know, we, we, we learn the word car by seeing a car by our parents talking about the car. Yeah. So I can imagine, you know, if we if we talk like that, we would you know, our parents would talk about as Henry Ford built. Right. You know, we mm -hmm. might we have to eventually learn who Henry Ford was, but we would know that a car is as Henry Ford built. Yeah. Right. And we learn our we learn all the other fiddly bits, the non nouns and verbs, just by context. Like, but, and that's you know, it's interesting that as you say that, Jimmy, that about like, the, it's a, such an interesting premise. Like the how do you communicate with someone that's who thinks so differently, so foreign from from the way I do? This is a way for them to get around the universal translator in a sense, like to break the universal translator just enough right. that you need to have this sort of communication. Uh, so it, it's interesting to see that that it is really an adaptation to kind of get around the crutch that they've given themselves years mm -hmm. before. So we have this character of Dathan. He's the captain of the Tamarian ship, uh, played by uh, uh, Paul Winfield. Paul, Paul yeah, Winfield, yeah. Uh, Captain Terrell of the Reliant in Wrath of Khan. Uh, yep. Again, he's a great actor, really good. Uh, he does such all, a wonderful all, job. Also, General Franklin's, Dr. Stephen Franklin's father on Babylon 5. That's right. Uh, and uh, from a 1990s series my wife and I watched, The Magic Mirror from The Charmings, <laughs> which was, which was you know, Prince Charming and Snow White living today. And Paul uh, Winfield was the magic mirror. And he talked about <laughs> how tough it was growing up as the only beveled mirror on a block of unbeveled mirrors. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love that. That's good. So uh, Dathan is trying to communicate with Picard, but Picard's clueless. And so the Tamarian crew laugh at Picard because he just so, does such a poor job. And Dathan sell, says, the river Tamark in winter, which apparently means stop because the river Tamark in winter would be- chill it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be it would be frozen. So it's the river yeah. is stopped. Uh, which you only make sense if you live in a place where you get freezing temperatures and snow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the and then uh, we we get the first instance of Darmok and Jalad at Panagra, and, and uh, yeah, and it it seems that they're they're discussing how to approach this first contact. Right. Frankly, I would laugh too, even understanding what Picard says because yes. I mean it's not just oh he's he's not making any illusions. Haha, <laughs> that's funny. I mean, yeah. I understand that would be funny from their perspective to have illusionless speech. It would sound like gibberish to them. But even knowing what he says, it's like, we are explorers of the galaxy, and would you consider establishing trade relations with us? We could form a mutual defense treaty. And so it's like, whoa, dude, let's have dinner first. You know, <laughs> right, so right. That see a movie or something before we go straight to the treaty making. Yes, exactly. <laughs> would you consider the creation of a mutual non-aggression pact? With the, yeah, uh, slow down, slow your roll. Uh, so the t other Tamarian, um, he says, uh, you know, when when Dathan, sorry, trying to keep the, all the names straight. There's a lot of names. 
Well, and we don't even know Dathan's name till the last next to last line of the episode. Basically, he's just the Tamarian captain. Right, right. So when the when the, when when the Tamarian ca- captain, he you know he says uh, you know stop making you know laughing at him. Um, he says uh, Shaka when the walls fell, which we find out means uh, we're failing here. Yeah. And then the first officer says says some other things that we, we don't know what they what they mean. But he actually, at one point says Shaka Marab his sails unfurled, which we find out. Let's means, get out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's go. Uh, and he says, "No, uh, Darmok, we're gonna we're gonna try this." And so the so the first officer's like, "No, I, I think this is a bad idea <laughs> to for you to go down and risk your life in order to communicate with these with these aliens." So it's a very interesting exchange that's going on here that you only understand in retrospect, having watched the the whole thing. Uh, and so. He takes the first officer's dagger, he takes his own dagger, holds them out, and both he and Picard are beamed to the surface. And uh, so it seems that Tamarians, for whatever reason, are very committed to making this communication with the Federation. This very, like, they seem to be, this is very important to them that this happen for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, it's their mission is to seek out new life and new civilizations too, apparently. Right. Exactly. Oh, and the Tamarians, or children of Tama, also start, pumping energy into the planet's ionosphere to keep the enterprise from transporting anybody up or down. So right. it's like we're part of this ritual is we're we're getting the two leaders together so they can have a bonding experience by confronting danger together. And that's how we that's this first contact strategy and so we're going to keep them down there isolated just like in the Gorn episode so they yes. can thrash this out. Of course, Worf's that's Worf's immediate uh, idea of his analysis of it as a Klingon is that this is a contest of champions, captain versus captain, armed, mm. fighting with primitive weapons to the death, uh, which is which is what we're supposed to think at first, mm-hmm. right? So notice, notice the structural similarity here in that in the Gorn episode, Kirk and the Gorn. I mean, we have the same Enlightenment. I'm not going to kill him thing. It's right. just the danger they confront there is each other and their own morality as opposed to an external beast. But right. they do end up bonding. Now, on the planet, yeah. And on the planet's surface, uh, mm-hmm. Picard, uh, Dathan is trying to give Picard the knife. He's like, here, take the yeah, extra right. knife. And Picard throws it back, no, I won't fight you. And, and I could just like imagine Dathan's frustration. Look, you idiot, <laughs> just take the knife. We're going to need it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shaka when the walls fell, and we learned that means failure, you know, and yeah. uh, and and, and he, that... he gets to use it also when Picard fails to build a fire at night, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, where's the Starfleet survival training now? You know, <laughs> exactly. This, this you should not have Shaka when the walls fell on that one. Although, I mean, <laughs> it is an alien planet. Who knows how combustible the uh, alien grass is or whatever? Well, so that the, might... the the Tamarian captain did it. Yeah, well, he's got the survival kit in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, he he knew where he was going. So the, uh, well, the other question I have is: the, apparently, the Tamarians understand Federation basic language, you know, English uh, for our purposes. Uh, so there's a there's a there's a one way street of understanding. He understands right. Picard, but Picard doesn't understand him. I don't think he understands every. I th- I think he's picking up individual words. Right. He's not getting the if he if he fully understood English, he could just talk it. Because he's clearly intelligent. Yeah. I think he's hearing about as much of understanding about as much of what Picard is saying as Picard is understanding of what he's saying. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So that's a good point. Okay. So that changes my understanding of it a little bit then. Yeah. So we have this, it's nighttime. Like you said, Picard is trying to build a fire on his side of the valley of the, the canyon. Uh, Dathan is, seems to have uh, won this contest and uh, he gets the survivor idol for this episode. Oh, no, wait, that's a different show. Yeah. Uh, so he's got, he's got his fire. Um, and then Dathan casts lots, apparently. It looks like that's yeah, what he's doing. a little and bit then, of sortilege here. And then places some items on rocks around the fire, then touches his head. It looks like a religious rite that he yeah. does before going to sleep, which it's is very interesting. It's clearly that, although I'm also wondering if I'm thinking with my Picard hat on, is he setting up, a, is this ritual behavior or is he setting up alarms or force fields around him while he <laughs> sleeps because he's got right. these little objects? Yes, yes, it could be could be different things. And uh, then he goes down to sleep. And of course, Picard's still pacing in the cold on the other side. And he's like, ah. Oh. So he gets up and throws a burning log to Picard. And Picard learns his first <laughs> idiom, Temba, his arms wide, which he means to give or generosity or some yeah. something of that effect. So we have some progress in communication here. So uh, then we have Riker up on the ship, who's feeling uh, a little bit impotent in, in the face of all this. Uh, a little frustrated here. <laughs> he he sends Worf on a shuttle to go get Picard back. But the Tamarians, they they are advanced enough that they can damage the shuttle just enough to make them turn back, but not hurt anybody. So right. that's it's clear that they have that they're not trying to to kill anyone. They have a very clear uh at least limit to the how much damage they want to do. So meanwhile, Riker makes the command decision to have Data and, and Deanna start Googling stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And I'm going, okay. And, and they spend so much time on this. You right. know, it's like, tell us what Darmok means. There are 47 meanings, you know. Okay, try a Boolean search. Search <laughs> right. on Darmok and Jalad and Tanagra and see what comes up. <laughs> Well, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> well, it's it's so funny. Of course, you, we're much more familiar with doing searches, whatever, with Google. But even at the time that this episode was out, anybody who had any kind of computer programming knowledge or ability would know how to do stuff like this. Like to search a spreadsheet was still something that was known when this episode came out. Right. Yeah. So it took them time to go to to kind of go back and say, "Oh, I have an idea." Computer cross reference these two yeah. terms. Like, yeah, duh. <laughs> Like, Data is a computer. He should have done that automatically. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, they're searching on Tanagra, and it's got all these meanings. Okay, you know from Darmok Angelod at Tanagra that Tanagra must be some kind of location. <laughs> right. So search on Tanagra location and see what Wikipedia has. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. So the, the so we, we have this this scene where they kind of, they start to unfurl the, the uh, the understanding of that this is an idiomatic language, um, and, and and suddenly they know way too much about the Tamarians because it's like data is all actually their ego structure does not permit them to think about the concept of individuality and their mythico historical epics define who they are, and it's like okay you can't even what? talk to these people how do you run psych complex <laughs> psychological evaluations on them <laughs> right right it you know it's it's interesting the the idea that it's that they speak in idioms because in a way and you can tell me how far off base I am it's sort of like western uh alphabets versus uh asian idiogrammatic language uh, alphabets like it's a written language as opposed to spoken language whereas you know in chinese or japanese idiograms they aren't 
they aren't like a bunch of letters that make a word. They're images that together represent make a concept. A, represent a mm-hmm. concept, right? It's sort of similar, isn't it? I think it's even more similar to something that actually we do in English and in every language all the time. We invent new metaphors to to convey concepts, and then we use them so much that we forget it's a metaphor. And right. that's essentially what the children have ta- of Tama have done. When they say, Shaka, when the walls fell, that's the same thing to them as us just saying failure. Right. We do the same thing, though, because if I say, Dom, I understand you. Right. Well, that comes from an original metaphor. I stand under you. Hmm. That's where understand comes from. It's a metaphor of, okay, we're in sync. I'm under you. And you've communicated information to me. I've got it. I'm under you. We understand the same thing. And we've just said understand for so many centuries now. We don't think of it as a metaphor. It's become shopworn and has been normalized as just a word. And right. you start, start thinking about it. Oh, someone is invincible. You know, that it it, can take almost any complex word. I mean, not dog, but um, you can take these, you know, more abstract words. And it turns out every abstract word in a language almost always goes back to some initial metaphor that was of a physical nature. Right. Well, well, you know, we we look at some how many words came over from Latin, like conversion, conversio. Mm -hmm. To turn around. Yeah. Exactly. Turning around. Or insight. I see into this. I have insight on it. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of SQPN, with a special message. The StarQuest Network is fulfilling its mission to explore the intersection of faith and pop culture. And in the past year, we've reached stunning new heights. Our programs are reaching broad new audiences with a message that helps us discern good entertainment, make sense of the world, and share the gospel with others. We continue to launch new shows and bring back great shows. We just relaunched Secrets of Star Wars, which comes at the perfect moment to capture the excitement over the new show, The Mandalorian, and the climax of the new Star Wars movies. The support of our audience is vital to this work and has helped us grow closer to meeting our financial obligations. For that, we are very grateful. But we still need to close the gap. Every new gift extends our deadline. But until we eliminate our deficits, the future of StarQuest and your favorite shows remain in question. This is why it's crucial we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we are very grateful and we ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you are not yet a supporter, please become one now. We urgently need your help in every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? That lets us provide more than 40 hours of professionally produced shows with compelling content. We have special thank you gifts for donors at several giving levels. If you are a business owner or just want to provide a leadership level of support, we now have a special giving level for sponsors, like in public broadcasting. For $500 per month, you or your business can sponsor one of the shows on our network. Listeners will hear a message in every episode thanking you for your sponsorship and giving your 
your website. We'll also have your name and link on the SQPN webpage and in the show notes of every episode during your sponsorship. Whatever level of support you can offer, whether large or small, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts are tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. And may God bless you and yours as we approach the celebration of our Lord's birth. You know, one of the things when you talked about, when David talks about how the Tamarians, they, they don't have a, a concept or much self-identity. So they are, they are a, a, almost a hive like civilization or, or, or people. They have a highly unusual level of ability to abstract, he says, and they communicate through narrative imagery by reference to people and places in their literature. So to communicate, you need to know the literature. You need to, a common frame of reference and a mm-hmm. body of knowledge. And I was thinking it, it's, a, it's a way, it's a metaphor for our, how our own culture and society work. So in order to be a cohesive, say, nation, we need a common history and a common body of understanding. And newcomers have to acquire that body of knowledge to become part of that community, or in a church, same thing. Up to a point, Lord Copper. <laughs> this is true, but there are different types of cultures here on Earth. Now, some are value independence training and individuality like ours. Mm-hmm. Others are more collectivist. And historically, cultures have tended to be more collectivist. They place more on the survival of the group than on the individual. Right. And the Tamarians are like that. They're like a collectivist culture here on Earth. But you can also look at cultures along another axis, which is sometimes called context. There are high-context cultures and low-context cultures. High-context cultures require you to know the local lore in order to get along. Low-context cultures don't. They require you to know a little bit, like the language and the basic laws but they don't require you to know the unwritten law because there isn't much of an unwritten law. It's just, we've said, here's what you got to do to be a part of this society. As long as you do that, you're okay. America and Japan are examples of low context cultures where if you know the language, you know what the law on the books is, you can get along. But you go to the Middle East and it's like, okay, there's laws. And then there's all the unwritten laws. And you got to know more than just the language and what the law on the books mm-hmm. is. You have to know all the social customs. You have to know what's acceptable and what's not in a much deeper way. You have to know the lore about the religion. You don't offer, you know, booze to your Saudi Arabian prince friend in public. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. in public. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so the Tamarians are essentially a high context culture where you have to know their their cultural lore in order to understand what's going on. It, it, I would I would say like there's a sim- similarity in some many people's experience would be like say a newlywed when you when you would marry into a family mm-hmm. you have to learn the shared history the in joke the stories that the in laws share you have to understand the things you can say to Uncle Uncle Marty and the things you can't say at the family Christmas party <laughs> I mean there is a that it yeah. it's a high context society. Exactly. In families like that, or and even in the church, I mean, we we when people join the the become Catholic, we there are things we expect them to know. Uh, we mm-hmm. have that's why mm-hmm. we have RCIA. So we you know you learn the catechism. Uh, you have to learn stories from the Bible, which is like this, uh, or Catholic history. But you also kind of have to learn about your particular parish somewhat. 
to become part of that community. There's an unwritten aspect of that. By the way, in some of the spinoff literature, Captain Picard gives the, in a later encounter, gives the children of Tama two important books from our Western history, the King James Bible and the complete works of William Shakespeare. Mm. And the Tamarians eventually start using metaphors from them. So you'll have things like Gideon, his army at the river. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> as, as, as a selection of picked men. Right, yep. right. Excellent. So oh, I, it's well, this I, is I one did, of the things I really I think what makes this episode so good is this sort of I, these sort of discussions that can rise mm-hmm. out of thinking about it. And that's what makes good science fiction. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, and one of the things that Data says that's basically bang on is because uh, Riker thinks, oh, we, we've understood Darmok is a mythical historical hunter. We can talk to them now. And Data is like, no, this situation is analogous to understanding all of the grammar of a language, but none of the vocabulary. Right. right. And that's exactly what this this is like. That's a very good analogy. Right. At, at one point, that you know, it says, you know, uh, if I say Juliet on a balcony, you know, Romeo and Juliet means romance. But if you don't know the context, you don't know what yeah. that means. It's you, you hear the phrase, but it, it's meaningless to you. Yeah. It's a also, woman standing on a balcony. In the spinoff media, because of the complete works of William Shakespeare, one of the Tamarian idioms that gets created is Romeo at the Capulet Ball. <laughs> which means a fish out of water because Romeo oh, is a Montague sure. should not be at the Capulet ball. Right. <laughs> right, right. Right. So, um, so back to like uh, Picard and Dathan on the planet, P- Dathan, P- Picard wakes up in the morning. Dathan is off, uh, doing his morning ablutions or something. Uh, and Picard goes and snoops over at Dathan's fire and finds his logbook. But then Dathan comes running back yelling about Darmok and Gelada Tanagra and Picard starts to apologize. And, uh, and then they hear uh, the crate dragon or, or something of the of, the, of Sud- that. Sort. Suddenly the Predator shows up from the Predator movies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Invisible creature, hunting creature, which is on, stands on two legs. Uh, so and meanwhile, and has weird hair and weird. Yeah, something sticking out. Jordy in engineering is trying to adapt the transporter to cut through the uh, scattering field, working with Ensign Robin Leffler, her first appearance, i.e. Mm-hmm. Ashley Judd. She'll become yep. important in a later episode this season. And, and in, this, in this scene, LaForge really texts the tech. Yes. I mean, that was the <laughs> phrase that they used in scripts was tech the tech because they needed the techno babble to be filled in later. And there's all kinds of incomprehensible techno babble in this scene. <laughs> yes, there is. I a mean, lot. it's really clearly there just to pad things out and communicate to the audience. Oh, they're doing stuff. Yes, yep. it's very it's very frantic. It's it, this isn't just adjusting a dial. This is a, so much going on. But they're doing it because they they're they're going to try to beam Picard out. They've sensed the predator is in the vicinity and might attack, yes. so they want to beam Picard out. And they point out even with all of our teching the tech, this is very risky. And Riker gets to deliver the line. But that's a chance we'll have to take. It's like <laughs> one of the most cliche lines in paint by numbers writing ever. That's oh, yes. right. It is, it is pretty. So the interesting thing is, just as Picard starts to figure out how the Tamarians communicate, and the invisible predator is attacking now. Oh yeah, it's like Sokath, his eyes uncovered, and <laughs> wham! Here's the predator. And then uh, the Enterprise starts beaming Picard out so that he can't help Dathan. Dathan's now getting pummeled. The the, the the creature has Dathan on the ground and is pummeling him from above like some schoolyard bully beating it's, up some little kid. Well, I think it's got like talons or something. And it's really wailing on him. Yeah. yeah. 
And so it's like worst possible time to have a beam out. And then it's a beam out fail because they can't pull him up. Right, right. They can't get him all the way through. Takes him out of the action just long enough to let uh, the Tamarian captain be mortally wounded. Yes. And then for reasons, the predator up and leaves rather than finishing the kill. Yeah, not sure why, but it got bored. His arms got tired. Yeah. (laughs) Fortunately, we did learn that the children of Tama have Elmer's glue for blood. (laughs) (laughs) It must be pretty sturdy, too, those those children of Tama. He he took that whaling and and lived for a while anyway. And later, when he comes back and he does more whaling, we get to see the exact same footage again for a second. Yes. Or at least it looks like it. Oh, yeah. So uh, Riker's patience at this point is gone. Riker's been holding back a little. He doesn't want to directly attack. The Tamarians, because you know they want to be have peaceful relations with them, uh, despite what what he perceives as an attack. So he tells Jordy and Worf to figure out a way to stop the scattering field with one shot, some a magic bullet, uh, so that. And then, as I put <laughs> in my notes here, the Trekno Babble reaches its climactic level at this point, um, <laughs> and it's it's actually pretty good. You can actually kind of follow a logic in their discussions, even mm-hmm. though it makes it has a conceptual sense, even though there's no real science or engineering underneath it they actually at least like compared to earlier seasons it actually makes and it has an internal sense an internal logic yeah. to it which well, is at least we good. don't have you know voyager standing at uh consoles speaking yeah. dramatically yeah right. the what what it amounts to though is okay they damaged our shuttle just enough i want you to damage their ship just enough that you knock out their their emitter for this thing they're doing right uh, so, meanwhile, back on the planet, Picard is nursing uh, 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 Darmok, I'm sorry, Dathan back to health, and uh, he hears the tale of Darmok and Gelada Tanagra. So, two guys both come to an island on the ocean, they uh, they fight a beast, and then they leave together. Right. He That's that, Darmok and Gelada Tanagra. Right. And he says and, to Dathan, you knew there was a dangerous creature on this planet, and you knew from the tale of Darmok that a danger shared might sometimes bring two people together. So Yeah. It, which just seems to be a universal concept, apparently, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, that's something that we have uh, a knowledge so, of. Now it's Picard's turn to be really meta on the nose <laughs> yeah. by telling the Tamarian captain the Epic of Gilgamesh, or at least part of it, uh, right. which happens to be exactly what is happening in this episode. Well, maybe um, he does it on purpose. <laughs> like he, 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 it's. This is what's happening, and so yeah, it reminds me of the except, Epic of Gilgamesh. Ex- except he tells, okay, so the Epic of Gilgamesh is a famous Mesopotamian story. It's been in multiple editions down through history. It's at least 4,000 years old. And in it, you have the king of Uruk is Gilgamesh, and he's like one-third divine, which is fascinating because I don't know, with two parents and four <laughs> grandparents, how do you end up one-third divine? <laughs> That's a very tricky bit of genetics. Yeah, but he, being semi-divine, really lords it over his subjects in Uruk, and they, and he torments them, and he insists on the right of Primanocta and things like that. And so the people cry out to the gods, which Picard doesn't mention, to uh, deal with this. And so the gods uh, have this wild man named Enkidu, who's, I mean, he's like a, he's a feral human being. And he is then civilized by a priestess who then introduces him into Uruk and he and Gilgamesh fight each other. 
and become friends, just like in The Quiet Man, the Irish version of the Epic of Gilgamesh. (laughs) And then they go off to fight adventures together, and they fight various monsters, including the Humbaba and things like that. Picard describes one of the monsters as the Bull of Heaven, and they defeat the Bull of Heaven, which is killing all these people. But Enkidu dies as a result. And that's as much of the Epic of Gilgamesh as Picard tells. It actually goes on quite a lot further. The death of Enkidu is actually only like the second plot point Uh. in the Epic of Gilgamesh. (laughs) uh, Because then we have this quest to find immortality and and Gilgamesh meets Utnapishtim, the survivor of the flood, who's the only immortal person. And Utnapishtim gives him a plant that will make him immortal. But then a serpent steals it. Just like in the book of Genesis, the Hmm. plant that gives you immortality, you lose because of a serpent. And so it actually is very fascinating, very moving story, which is why it's been around for 4,000 years. But Picard tells him the first part of it, and he gets up to, oh, and Enkidu dies. So guess who's Enkidu here? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're not dead yet, but that's what I'm telling you is going to happen, dude. Right. And then that's actually when, when Dathan, you know, kind of, Breathes his last, as they say. So, uh, and then the next morning, the Predator comes back to, to Picard, and Riker disables the Tamarian scattering field and beam up Picard just in time. But meanwhile, Picard, instead of going right to a uh, a, a communicator, like an intercom, to call the bridge and tell him to stop, uh, rushes to the bridge and lets everything happen where the ship gets, the Enterprise gets hit, the uh, Tamarians fire back, disable the warp engines, and just about as the time is, uh, the Enterprise is about to be destroyed, Picard comes to the bridge and knows exactly what to say to the Tamarians to get them to stop. And, yeah, even uh, though we only heard it once at the very beginning of the episode. It's yes. like, Tamak, the river Tamak in winter. So freeze. Yes. Yep. And, and, stop and what you're doing. He only heard that once and with very little context. How did he remember that? <laughs> it's been like two days. Uh, he, he's Picard. He he remembers things apparently. He is Picard. Yeah. That's right. He is the Picard. So uh and then the, the Tamarian first officer says Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Darmok and Jalad on the ocean, which hey, we we're friends now. And mm-hmm. then uh Sokath, his eyes open, he says. And uh Picard then tells him uh that that Dathan is dead. Uh Uzani, his army, Shaka when the walls fell. Yeah, I don't know how he... Okay, so, few problems. Um, the, the Riker has been telling us over and over in this episode that the Tamarians have the same level of tech that we do. And so if our sensors tell us something, their sensors are telling them the same thing. Right. And so they must know the captain is in danger. They must know this beast is attacking. Why aren't they letting us intervene? Blah, blah, blah. We hear this several times. And... So what's going on here? Why, once the Tamarians realize their captain is dead, how are Darmok and Jalad going to leave on the ocean together? It seems like the experiment is Shaka when the walls fell. And (laughs) so so why do they want to keep Picard down there any longer? Why do they care? You know, they're still maintaining their scattering field. Why don't they just turn it off and let Picard get beamed up? So I don't understand their actions. Also, just regardless of what fancy sensors you've got, they should have telescopes, as should the Enterprise. They should both be not just sensing, oh, there's a creature nearby. They should be watching this battle and watching everything that's happening. Somebody on the Enterprise 
ought to be, even if they got to orbit, they should leave a drone. And somebody should be tasked with watching everything that happens to the captain on a view screen. Right. And they should therefore see, the Tamarians also should see Picard taking Dathan's body and arranging it nicely and putting his possessions on him and doing this ritual sort of burial stuff to honor the dead person. That should tell the Tamarians that we are a little bit on the ocean now. Right. So mm. why do we need this space battle? This is just here to pump up the drama at the end of the episode yep. when really the episode logic should tell you that we don't need this battle. The Tamarians should realize we have a partial success. Yeah. And and if even here, like the, the Tamarian acts as if he doesn't know that Dathan is already dead. Yeah. I was going to mention that. Yeah. They should know yeah. that too. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, things end well. Uh, the, the, the Tamarian tells Picard to keep the, his knife because it's the Tamarian first officer's knife. And uh, Riker, you know, ends with new cap, new friends, Captain. Yeah. Well, we, we don't know. At least they're not new enemies, which is seems to be a pretty, at least a basic level of success here. <laughs> oh, also, uh, Picard lets them very precisely beam right out of his hand. Um, That's and into the o- in, into the other guy's hand. It's a hand to hand transport. Yeah, of the log Dathan's logbook. Yeah. So they'll have a record of at least most of what happened down on the planet which they should have entirely seen on their own view screens. Yes. Uh, so we end the episode with Picard in his ready room with uh, reading a book with when Riker comes in. and It's the Homeric hymns. In the original Greek, of course, because that's what Picard is, a, uh, uh, is a man of, of letters. Okay. Yes. Uh, he, uh, he wants more familiarity with the root metaphors of our culture. So, I mean, of at least Western culture. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> that works. What the Homeric hymns are for people who may not know, I think there are like 33 of them. Uh, but they're hymns in praise of individual Greek gods. And they're called Homeric hymns because they're written in a style very similar to Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. Yes, yes. Uh, so, yeah, it's not, It's interesting that they. it's not he's reading the Iliad, he's reading this other thing, which is kind of interesting that they chose something mm-hmm. slightly different from the obvious. Uh, and uh, so we find out that, you know, it, Picard says, the Tamarian was willing to risk everything just for the hope of communication, um, which to me, it sounds it in some ways, that's like the, the Christian you, missionaries. Dude. Well, it oh. also seems like the early Christian missionaries mm-hmm, who, sure. who went out with the hope of making a connection with risking their own lives. Francis Xavier dying on the on the shores, you know, just just mm-hmm. offshore from the mainland of China, just with the hope of bringing Christ to them. So yeah. I just I kind of like that idea of this is why. This is one of the reasons why we explore and why a culture would create, would end up like a, a culture that goes and explores the galaxy, not yeah. just because we're curious, but because we want to make a connection. Uh, so mm-hmm. I just thought that was right. interesting. Jesus uh, at the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Uh, you are anticipating uh, the ending of this, of this recording, <laughs> by the way. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> So well, the last question is, why do you think this episode is so beloved by fans? What is it about this episode called Darmok that people love? Father? Yeah, I, I would go back to just the fact that it is an episode that you can really chew on the principles behind it. You know, setting aside all the stuff that's going on on the ship where they're Google searching for half the episode and all that. <laughs> right. But actually talking about this idea of encountering a culture that is so radically different, at least as far as how they communicate. 
And, you know, what are the, what are the consequences of that? What are, what does that mean if we do encounter culture like this and so on, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jimmy? I I think, well, okay. Number one, this is the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's a compelling story. (laughs) And number two, uh, it effectively communicates alienness. Number three, it's fundamentally positive. It's also very dramatic. And it has a lot to think about in terms of like language and how it works and and what alienness is like and how you can overcome those barriers. It's a lot like enemy mine, which is another popular thing of the time Mm -hmm. uh, where you have these two combatants that ultimately learn each other's cultures and learn to communicate. And so it's got just a lot of things going for it. It's got some flaws, but it's it's overall really good. And that's what makes it a favorite. I think another aspect is Dathan's sacrifice and how it affects Picard. I think some of the most beloved next-gen episodes, the ones that are most popular among fans, are ones that Picard at the end of it has changed. That mm-hmm. it, 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 You can see how this is, affects him. So the one where he gets the little flute uh, where he mm-hmm. has that lives inner a life. Light. Yeah, right. inner light, yep. Uh, or the, the, the Borg ones where, the, where he becomes uh, Locutus of Borg. These are some of the most beloved episodes because our captain, the, ca- the our our key character, is is obviously moved and changed. And at the end of yeah. this episode, we see Picard sort of r- mimic the the ritual, touch his head, and then the knife. It's kind of like crossing yourself. Yes, and right. so he adopts this element of their culture as a way of honoring their culture and identifying with the fallen captain, who has in essence out Picarded Picard. Yes, yes. I, I think the I think all of those reasons are one or why people lo- like this episode so much. So uh, really, I, I again one of my favorites, and I gather from you guys as well. Any other uh, last uh, last bits to say about this episode? Nope. Okay, Nothing so here. Uh, so let's wrap it up then. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Les H, Jeff V, Lindsay S, Imad A, and David S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show every week. We are very grateful. And uh, so that's it from us. What did you think of Darmok, the Next Gen episode? Was this one of your favorites? Or you know, what do you think of some of the things we talked about? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or on our facebook page at facebook.com slash starquest media or through an email at trek at sqpn.com and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the deep space nine episode captive pursuit until then father Corey stika thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of star trek yeah, glad to be here and thank you dom and jimmy aiken thank you as well thank you and live long and prosper and once again i'm dom bettinelli Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, Joseph and Mary and Jesus at Bethlehem. Jesus and disciples in the upper room. Jesus at Golgotha. The tomb with the rock rolled away. <laughs>